0: Hi, I'm Lainey Law.
1: And I'm attorney Andrew Myers.
0: Today we're going to be talking about something that's impacting a lot of people, bankruptcy. Are you in too much debt? And what can you do to get yourself out of that situation if you are?
1: Having practiced law for over 20 years, I find that what I enjoy the most is meeting my clients and getting to understand what brought them here. My clients come to me with serious issues, troubling injuries in a car accident, large amounts of debt, or other difficult problems. Let's go over everything. I would like to hear what it is that you're dealing with.
0: It's my credit card debt. I have a lot of creditors calling, but I haven't been able to find a full-time job.
1: You're not alone, and I'm here to help you. Let's take a look at your situation and decide what your options are. Thank you. The aspect I love most about being a lawyer is helping people find answers and solve problems. It is extremely rewarding. If people come to my office and see that at least someone in the legal system understands, then we're both happy.
0: Nowadays, a lot of people are struggling financially and you may be thinking, how can I get myself out of this hole and be able to reclaim my life? Today, attorney Andrew Myers is going to be talking about bankruptcy in a way that's a little less scary than most people might expect and how we're able to do that in a way that's going to be efficient and helpful for you.
1: So, Lainey, as you just saw in the uh, video that we looked at, people come to the office of a bankruptcy attorney and they're worried They're scared. A lot of times they bring files and files and files, sometimes even shopping bags full of bills. And they're getting telephone calls from bill collectors and it's overwhelming and they don't know what to do. And actually they don't even know what questions to ask. So we try and sit down and relax and take our time. And I I ask my clients, you know, what is it that's pressing you the most? Why are you here?
0: So something that I imagine a lot of people are scared about at the thought of filing for bankruptcy and something that might prevent people from filing would be that most people would assume that it's going to hurt their credit, that it's going to have some kind of impact on them, that it's going to reflect badly on them in future instances where they might be trying to borrow money.
1: Well, first of all. People that have a lot of debt, people that have a lot of collection notices coming in, they've already got uh, problems with regard to their credit rating, so that's a given. And later on, we can talk a little bit about the impact that a bankruptcy has on a credit rating, but we're generally talking about people that have a pretty low credit score to begin with, so that's usually not their first concern.
0: Okay. And something that people are concerned about too, a lot of people have a little bit of guilt and shame in regards to being in that situation and are concerned about the ethical consequences or whether or not you know it's the right thing to file for bankruptcy.
1: That does come into play a lot. Uh, people are worried that, oh, this is a bad thing to do. Oh, I, I knew a, a person who did it before and that, that wasn't a good thing, but... Um, First of all, when I see credit card companies sending out statements to people, uh, oh, get this credit card, Uh, we can help you. I, I got one in the mail the other day that had pictures of ice cream cones with colored ice cream. And uh, wouldn't this be nice to have this great credit card. And then I opened it up. They didn't even, uh, in the old days, they would tell you what the credit uh, rating or the interest rate was. But you had to look way into the fine print to find out that the interest rate was like 24, 25. I've even seen 35 percent. The one I'm telling you about now had pictures of ice cream cones and happy people. And I opened it up and it did not even have the um, interest rate in it. So you'd have to go online and figure it out. So when credit card companies do that sort of marketing, uh, I don't feel badly about doing a bankruptcy. Hi everyone, this is a special edition of About the Law coming to you. I talked about a credit card application that had all happy things like ice cream, Well, here it is. Don't they make getting a credit card look like fun? It's like getting uh, ice cream and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And then you look into the terms and conditions and they don't even tell you what the interest rate is going to be. They tell you, you know, all the terms and conditions you have to comply with in order to get the stupid credit card. Uh, And then to get the um, actual interest rate, it's not even in here anywhere. You have to go on to the website that's listed there. The other way I can answer that question is this. There are seven major world religions. All seven of them mention the concept of bankruptcy in their their biblical verses. Uh, For example, in Christianity, if you go to, and I'm not a preacher, and I'm no great theological expert, but if you go into your Bible, Deuteronomy 15 verses 1 and 2 say that the Lord shall forgive all debt uh, within every seven years. And the reason that that's really interesting, not only that all major world religions mention bankruptcy, but also uh, before 2005, if you did a chapter 7 bankruptcy, you had to wait seven years to do another chapter 7 bankruptcy. So the Bible's reference to seven years and the bankruptcy law. Allowing a, a second success of bankruptcy in seven years kind of matched up. Now, in 2005, Congress substantially changed the bankruptcy law. Now you have to wait for eight years.
0: Oh my goodness. So, I guess something that I'm wondering, and that I'm sure a lot of people watching this are wondering, is now you've told us that you have to wait, you know, now eight years to file again. Is there a certain amount that you need to be in debt before you're able to file for bankruptcy?
1: With respect to a Chapter 7 bankruptcy, no. There is no limit. I mean, obviously, you've got to consider the consequences of a Chapter 7. uh, And so you're not going to file a Chapter 7 if you only owe $25 or $100. uh, So that's more of a personal decision. And on a Chapter 7, there's no real ceiling, although if you have tons and tons and tons of debt, A bankruptcy trustee is going to look at it, yes.
0: And now you mentioned a Chapter 7. What kind of different chapters are there and how do these different chapters impact the individuals that are filing for them?
1: That's a great question because there are several different chapters. Uh, We read in the newspaper about all of these big box stores that uh, go under and they, they file a bankruptcy and a bankruptcy like that is called a Chapter 11. That's not what we're gonna focus on today. We're gonna to focus more on what we call consumer bankruptcies. Consumer bankruptcies for individuals, like you're asking about and like the young woman in the skit that we saw before, uh, they file either a Chapter 7 or Chapter 13. A Chapter 7 is generally what we call a straight bankruptcy, and we call it that way because generally, it's over within about four months. We can talk about the timeline later, but you file the bankruptcy. 30 days later you go to see a trustee who asks you questions about your situation. And then after a 60-day waiting period, depending if there are other issues that come up, uh, two things happen. You get a discharge and the case closes out. That's a Chapter 7. A Chapter 13 is the other consumer bankruptcy and it's a little bit more complicated. What a Chapter 13 does is it gives you that same discharge of your debts, so it discharges those debts that you have for the most part. Uh, but it takes three to five years. You have to have a three to five year uh, payment plan uh, in order to get that uh, discharge. So you might ask, why would anybody do a Chapter uh, 13?
0: Mm-hmm. That's, I guess, that was gonna be that was gonna be my next question. Is like, if you're filing for bankruptcy, you don't have this money. It would surprise me that one of the options is to have this whole payment plan for years to come when you're already struggling financially.
1: Well, uh, Chapter 7 fits the scenario you're telling me about perfectly. Uh, People think about a payment plan if they have, for example, an asset they want to hold on to, for example, a house or sometimes a car. But a typical scenario with a Chapter 13 is, Uh, People have a house with a huge mortgage. People buy these huge McMansions, and it relies upon two incomes. This is just one scenario. Uh, They rely on two incomes. Well, one person loses their job. Now they're struggling. They might be getting behind in the mortgage. Now the second person loses their job, and they're in real trouble. They've got this big, huge mortgage payment to make every month, and they can't do it. Well, one of them might get their job back, but now they've fallen into arrears on their mortgage. So they're behind on the mortgage, and they don't know what to do, and they get a foreclosure notice. The Chapter 13 will stop that foreclosure notice. It just uh, it terminates the foreclosure uh, through what we call the stay of bankruptcy. So you file a Chapter 13, and it stays the bankruptcy, and you have a very limited period of time to then file a, a Chapter 13 payment plan with the court. Now, that's not the end of it. You've got to get that plan through a trustee who takes a look at it and eyeballs it and says whether or not he's going to support it. And then the next test is you've got to get it confirmed by the bankruptcy judge. Now, if nobody objects to that plan, none of the creditors object, the mortgage company doesn't object, uh, that plan will be confirmed. But Often, people will object to the plan, and you've got to go into court and get a judge to actually take a look at your Chapter 13 payment plan, and then at that time, it's approved. To get the payment plan approved, you've got to show the court that you have enough income. So if you are struggling to pay that mortgage, you may or may not get that plan approved, depending on whether you're going to have the income.
0: So now you touched on something that I was curious about. You mentioned if they wanted to hold on to certain assets. So when you're filing for bankruptcy, say under a chapter seven, like you mentioned before, is there a risk that you could potentially lose something like your car in that type of scenario?
1: Well, that's a good question. And actually that's the number one question that my chapter seven, uh, bankruptcy clients ask, can I keep my car? Well, the question is, do you want to keep your car? You have three options with a car. You can redeem, reaffirm, or surrender. What does that mean? Uh, The first uh, option, which is a reaffirmation, allows you to keep the car as long as it's a good running car, as long as you have a a reasonably decent payment, um, and as long as you don't have too much equity in that car. So the average person might have a car these days that's worth $20,000. They have a car loan that's $19,000. So if they sold the car, they only have $1,000 of what we call equity in the car. Now you need an exemption. Complicated question you asked, Mm -hmm. but as long as you have an exemption, and in most states you're going to have an exemption that covers that $1,000, you're okay. Now, if you have a Lamborghini or a car that's worth $200,000 and you um, don't have a loan on it, no, you're not going to keep that car. So the answer to your question depends on how much equity you have in that car and uh, what the local exemption is on that car. The other options include redemption and surrender. If you have an old car that doesn't run, you want to get rid of it. So in a Chapter 7, you can do that. You can actually fill out the papers in the bankruptcy petition, check the correct boxes, talk to the lender, and get rid of it. Which is a great option for have you known people that uh they buy a new car and they fold the the previous loan into that car?,
0: mm-hmm. oh my gosh, the american way <laughs> right exactly so now
1: they're so now they might be driving a car that is worth five thousand dollars and they have a ten thousand dollar loan. Well, scenario one lets them surrender that car, they just like go like this, and the car loan is discharged and the bank can come take the car and you get what the bankruptcy law calls a fresh start. So those are two options, the re, the um, reaffirmation and the surrender. There's a third option. The third option is this. You can do what we call redemption and what that involves is a slightly different scenario. Suppose you have a car that's worth $12,000 and unlike our previous scenario it does run. So the car is worth $12,000. But you owe twenty thousand because you've folded these loans into it over the years. In a redemption, you deal with a new lender, and you cram down the uh, loan on the car to the fifteen thousand dollar value, and get rid of the twenty thousand dollar loan. Now the auto company, nine times out of ten, is going to object to that. Uh, sometimes they don't, but. That's a good option for people that have way too much debt on a car.
0: So I guess something that I'm wondering too now with all of this is that is there a benefit for filing for bankruptcy over doing something like credit counseling or credit consolidation?
1: Usually people that come to me have already tried the credit counseling and the debt consolidation because often what happens with these companies, and they have a lot of ads on TV, I get direct mail, uh, consolidate your credit, and it sounds like a great idea. You can put all your credit cards together into one, and it sounds great, right? Mm -hmm. But here's what happens, nine times out of 10 or even more, these debt consolidation companies will take a monthly fee from you, and so you're gonna have to pay. Not always, some of them work without a fee, but most of them work with a monthly fee, and you pay them. Well, let's say you have six credit cards, they will work with the ones that make the most noise. The ones that are calling you on the phone every day. You know, maybe uh, Visa, maybe MasterCard, maybe uh, that card you got from the big box store and ran it up. Uh, That'll end up with a very aggressive debt collector. And so what will happen is they'll deal with that person and they might deal with three of your debts. And as you pay monthly, thinking that you're consolidating your debt, they'll pay the three noisy ones. Well, two years will go by like this. Meanwhile, this company is pocketing your money. Uh, then you come to find out that they've only dealt with some of your credit cards and not all of your credit cards. And that scenario, as unbelievable as it might sound, that happens all the time. So, um, debt uh, consolidation, uh, generally speaking, is not always, but in my experience, it's turned out to be a very negative experience for my clients. Mm-hmm.
0: And that, you know, it sounds, that makes sense, Is like people get into the situation in the first place and they end up stuck there. So I guess uh, now a question, my next question that I'm wondering about is whether or not it's possible to make too much money to be able to file for bankruptcy.
1: Well, yes, that's a good question too because there's a thing called a means test. And in other words, if you make too much money, you are unable to file a Chapter 7 bankruptcy. This came out of uh, some revisions to the bankruptcy law in 2005. So if anybody's watching us and they did a bankruptcy before 2005, they'll say, oh, that's not true. That didn't apply in, in my bankruptcy case. But it does now, and the means test numbers generally change twice a year, and they're different state to state. So let me take a look at a chart. The numbers change all the time, so uh, the most recent chart that I have in front of me tells me that, oh, it varies by the number of people in your household also. So let's take a look at New Hampshire. If you are a family of two in New Hampshire and if you filed during this period of time, and again, these numbers change all the time, but right now if you're a household of two, and you make more than $90,000 in New Hampshire, you fail the means test. You can't do a Chapter 7. You've got to do a Chapter 13 or not file at all. Now, just to illustrate how these numbers change from state to state, in Massachusetts, the number is $93,000. So the mean income level in Massachusetts is $93,000. Just uh, by way of contrast, one of the highest means test household income numbers in the whole country is in the District of Columbia where a household of two can make up to $135,000 and still do a Chapter 7. On the other hand, the other end of the scale in Arkansas, if you make only $59,000, you qualify. But over $59,000 in Arkansas, you can't uh, file a bankruptcy. So, uh, assuming that our podcast will remain online for a while, don't rely on those numbers because they do change. They uh, change every more or less six months uh, based on numbers that are put out by the U.S. Census Bureau.
0: Okay. Now, something that I'm curious about, when people have things like student loans, because you mentioned these high, you know, I'd say high, but it's that people are able to, you know, make up in some states up to $90,000. Are things like student loans, are those discharged when people are filing for bankruptcy?
1: It's a simple answer and a complicated answer. No, generally speaking, student loans are non-dischargeable. Now, I'm talking about uh, the, government, uh, the government-backed the government student loans. And you know all the acronyms if you went to college and you have those student loans hanging over your head. I mean, I remember getting out of law school and having a lot of uh, student loan debt. And um, so if they are government-backed student loans, it's very, very, very difficult to get them discharged. Uh, You can file a chapter seven and that will not discharge the student loans unless you file an additional piece of litigation that's called an adversary proceeding. And now, unlike most chapter sevens, you're going to go before a judge or your attorney will go before a judge and you are not going to get those student loans discharged unless you can make a very good case for what's called an undue hardship.
0: Now, I'm curious what would be considered an undue hardship for a creditor?
1: Okay, this is where we have to put on our thinking caps because what the courts have generally said, and it varies a little bit state by state, uh, but uh, in Massachusetts and New Hampshire, the two states in which I practice law, generally speaking the courts are going to say, the bankruptcy courts are going to tell you, you must make out three points to prove undue hardship, and those points are the debtor cannot maintain a minimal standard of living if forced to repay the student loan based on current income expenses. That's number one. Uh, Number two, additional circumstances exist, indicating that this state of affairs is likely to persist for a significant portion of the repayment period of the loan. And finally, Importantly, the debtor must have made a good faith effort to at least start paying off those student loans. So let's look at a case, Um, again it's very difficult, there have been a lot of cases in New Hampshire and Massachusetts and all around the country really, indicating that it's very difficult to make this undue hardship uh, standard. In one case, There was a poor guy in Texas that was working really hard to support his wife and family, and he worked a good, honest job as a maintenance worker in a company. And he decided uh, that he was going to better himself, and he saw one of these matchbook schools. Did you ever see those matchbook covers that they say you can go to school and learn this or that or the other? (laughs) I've seen matchbooks. (laughs) So anyhow, this, this matchbook cover said you can go to school and get a certification in various things and one of the things he could go to school and get certification was a fancy schmancy multi-word lingo for basically an advanced certified maintenance technician. If you looked into it, it was going to teach him how to be certified as a janitor. Mm. Well, the man in good faith, in good faith, he wanted to support his wife and his family and he went and he uh, went to the school He spent a lot of money, tens of thousands of dollars, and he ended up with this certification. And he went to his boss for a raise and the boss just asked him, you know, what is this? You can keep doing your job as you are. So the man took this certification to other companies and the other companies just looked at this certification and it turned out to basically be phony. Mm -hmm. It just, you know, they took the man's money They gave him this class. It gave him nothing except for a piece of paper that said, here, you have this certification. So he wasn't happy. He went to an intelligent bankruptcy attorney, and they made a case for undue hardship. And the court went through those three points, and they said, "You know, look, to pay back these incredible student loans and work the job you have is going to create a substantial hardship for you, and you're not going to be able to repay the loan without seriously impacting your quality of life. Uh, the circumstances were that he was unable to pay those over the long term of the debt because it stretched out for a long time and this was going to impact his family and bringing up his kids. Uh, The third factor which was very important in this case, in a lot of cases, was that the man did make a good faith effort to repay. I mean he was an honest man, he worked very hard, he was trying to support his wife and his kids and at first he did try and he did actually make payments at the beginning of those loans because he wanted to do the right thing and in that rare case there are others but in this case we're using as an example they did discharge his student loans
0: it's good for people that if they are not able to get this benefit from their education that they were hoping to get that they are at least able to have that dismissed if they're able to prove that it's causing that undue hardship like you said now something that i'm wondering about too is if somebody is planning to file for bankruptcy, what should they do before that? is how can they get their ducks in line as best as they can?
1: The best way to get ready for bankruptcy is to make sure you've got all of your um, debt organized. make sure a lot of people throw their, <laughs> a lot of people throw their bail out. They don't even look at their mail. <laughs> and as an attorney who reads everything, I, I find that a little bit shocking, but I've had people come to my office and they tell me they know they have a lot of debt, and I ask them, where is it? Well, I threw it all out. (laughs) The first step is to keep it all. If you don't, you can go online and get your credit report, and assuming that the credit, you know, everybody can get a free credit report, assuming that that credit report is accurate, and they're not all accurate, trust me, because I look at tons of them, uh, assuming that that's accurate, have that, uh, have your car payment, have your mortgage, if you have one, have all that handy, and find an attorney that's going to help you. We can talk about that later if you uh, want to try and do it yourself. But the other thing is uh, before you can file a bankruptcy, and this is different from the debt consolidation we talked about before, you've got to do a class that's called credit counseling. Now, you can do it on the computer when Congress first came up with this idea way back in 2005 their idea initially was that they were going to try and discourage people from filing bankruptcies and you'd have to actually go to a class somewhere, get in your car and drive and, and be shamed about uh, why didn't you pay your bills and that that doesn't exist anymore. Now you can do the mandatory credit counseling as long as it's through an agency that's approved uh, by the government. Uh, You can do it online. Some clients, I still have people that don't like the computer, believe it or not, uh, you can do it on a 1-800 number, but that's the next thing you need to do is to um, do a credit counseling class that's approved by the U.S. Justice Department. Then there are other things that you need to do, and there are finer points that you can get into trouble if you don't do certain things, but the bottom line is don't use any credit cards at all for 90 days before you file. Um, don't buy luxury items. Don't go on a fancy schmancy vacation. I mean, if you, if you have made the mental decision that I'm gonna file a bankruptcy, the last thing you're gonna do is go on some luxury vacation to Europe or Mexico. And the last thing you're going to do is buy a great big huge car or a great big huge stereo or anything. So that's actually called bankruptcy fraud and uh, you're going to have problems in that case. So those are just a couple of things that come to mind uh, before you file a bankruptcy.
0: So kind of to summarize that if you know you're going to be filing for bankruptcy for 90 days Chill out, you already know you're in a bad financial right. situation. Oh right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like wind it down a little bit, you know, make sure that you're collecting all of your any hints you have of debt, you know, try to reel it in with the spending. Not, don't make any luxurious spendings and make sure that if you're filing for bankruptcy that you're doing it for the right reasons. So are people able to file for bankruptcy themselves or do people need to speak to an attorney in order to file for bankruptcy?
1: Well, people can file themselves, but I don't recommend it, and it's not just because I am an attorney, it's because it's pretty complicated. You know, there are a lot of attorneys that don't even think about the possibility of considering getting into bankruptcy because it does have a lot of ups and downs. The bankruptcy petition itself involves a number of statements and schedules and affidavits and Uh, You're required to file it electronically and you've got to file a declaration. Let me just uh, show you one bankruptcy petition that I have here. There are no names. Everything is confidential. I've used this for learning purposes in the past. This is actually a short bankruptcy petition. It's 48 pages. Uh, That includes about a 10-page statement of financial affairs that makes you disclose all of your income this year to date and the two years prior to this. It makes you uh, list any lawsuits that you have, and a lot of people that file bankruptcy do have lawsuits pending, usually uh, collections. It makes you uh, disclose a great deal about things that you've done in your uh, financial life. Do do you have any uh, uh, rent-to-own-furniture contracts? Do you have uh, financial statements? Uh, What are all the banks, not only that you have accounts in now, but if you've closed a bank account, um, please list those. So it goes on and on and on. Uh, there's a statement of intention for you to tell the bankruptcy court what you're going to do with your car. Uh, you got to disclose your mortgage, any contracts um, that you have, any life insurance that you have. Uh, all of your credit cards, all of your credit cards have to be listed. So it goes on quite a bit. That you've also got to list every single thing that you own. Now, oh do you gosh. have to. Do you have to list every single pen and pencil and paper clip? No, we can go by categories. But generally, an attorney is going to know uh, what you can categorize and what you can't categorize. So. You know, um, police don't uh, view this as a self-serving statement, but I do highly recommend that people go to an attorney because I have seen people uh, go to a creditors meeting without an attorney and it boggles their mind the questions that they're asked and the level of detail that can be asked of them.
0: And that makes complete sense to me, and something we talked about a little bit before as far as you know, whether or not you're gonna go to the classes in person or over the phone, or you don't like doing it online. A lot of people feel a lot of shame when it comes to filing for bankruptcy. When you file for bankruptcy, are you going to need to appear in front of a judge?
1: Well, I think we dealt with the shame issue before when I pointed out <clears throat> that um, all seven major world religions mention bankruptcy or the concept of bankruptcy in their um, tomes. In the old days, there was shame in two things, divorces and bankruptcy. And you know what? Um, people get divorced multiple times these days. I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong, but there's really very little shame in divorce anymore. The same is true of bankruptcy. When I was growing up as a little kid, <clears throat> if somebody filed a bankruptcy, that was a big deal. Now I go to bankruptcy creditors meetings and the room is full of people from all walks of lives. I've seen doctors. I've seen lawyers. I've seen people that made a very good go at trying their own um, business, and it fails. I've seen people of all walks of life file bankruptcy, and as long as they make a good faith effort at it and they follow the rules and the law, they come through it without any problems.
0: All right, taking a step back, I asked, if you're embarrassed, do you have to go in front of a judge?
1: I would say in most Chapter 7 cases, no. You go to what's called a trustee meeting where you take the bankruptcy petition that I was just showing you and the the trustee goes through the bankruptcy petition and he'll ask you a bunch of questions uh, which your attorney will prepare you for before you go in. Um, In most cases, you will not see an actual judge unless there are issues, for example, student loans. Or for example, if you've committed bankruptcy fraud, if you filed a bankruptcy and you've bought luxury items or gone on a vacation Or if there are questions about your income or I had a case once where there was a pending probate case where the person filing the bankruptcy had kind of Not done all the right things in a probate case We had to go into the judge and explain it all and we did it and that issue resolved but Unless it's a simple, straight case, you are going to have to see a judge. But I would say over 90% of my clients see a trustee, but never see a judge.
0: OK, and that could possibly help in the lessen the pressure that some people may face in these situations. So at these trustee or creditor meetings, you mentioned that they kind of go through and make sure that you just, you know, that you haven't been doing any spending or any frivolous spending I should say you know everybody's going to do some type of spending but what is kind of the workflow that you see when you're filing for bankruptcy at these meetings?
1: Well the trustee meetings uh, generally we call them 20 questions or 40 questions depending Uh, there's a series of questions they're actually online somewhere in the creditors handbook they don't always necessarily follow all of those uh, rules. They, they, you know, they, a trustee might go in and do 20 or 30 of these in a day, so they might ad lib a little bit. But the, the questions are generally gonna be, what's your income? Where do you work? Uh, what credit cards did you have? Did you file all your taxes? Um, they just wanna see if everything is pretty much on the up and up. When you go to these meetings, you must have two things. You've gotta have a picture ID, and you've got to have a Social Security card. That's it. So what if
0: somebody is filing for bankruptcy and forgets to list all of their debt?
1: Seriously, that can be a problem. Uh, This is federal law, bankruptcy is, but it varies by the circuits in the United States. And here in the First Circuit where we are in New Hampshire and Massachusetts, if you forget one of your credit card debts and you don't list it in your bankruptcy petition, and you get your discharge and the case closes, you're going to have to go back and reopen that case. You're going to have to reopen the case and file a bunch of papers, a declaration of electronic filing, and an amended schedule, uh, and an affidavit, and a bunch of other paperwork, and pay a filing fee to reopen the case and relist that debt and then go through a process before the case closes and that debt is discharged. Now, like I said before, this is although this is federal law, there are different circuits in the United States Now, in California, the law is the opposite. If you file a bankruptcy in California in that circuit and you forget one of your credit card debts, it's not a problem because all of your debt is going to be discharged, as long as your petition was filed in good faith. But, so, the best thing to do is make sure you get all of your debts listed in that petition. It's
0: nice that in some states, you're able to get all your debt discharged completely. So now, on a similar topic, what happens if when you're filing for all of your possessions you forget to list one and is there like a certain minimum like should you be when you're filing for your possessions should you be listing pretty much anything that's over like a hundred dollars two hundred should it be over a thousand
1: well generally speaking and again it's a general guideline not an absolute but anything that's worth six hundred dollars or more should be listed and again uh, we can go by categories we don't have to list every couch and chair we can say household furnishings and as long as you put a reasonable number on it you're not gonna have a problem but here's a story that actually happened a fellow who was a real estate attorney in Boston filed his own bankruptcy petition again he's an attorney but he's a real estate attorney and one of the last times that the real estate market went south he had to file a bankruptcy. So he filed a bankruptcy and he goes through all the schedules and statements that we were talking about and looking at before. He failed to list a Rolex watch. Oh. He didn't li- and those are worth a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in well in excess of $600. Yeah. So he goes into the creditors meeting and the trustee says, "I see you're wearing a Rolex watch." Well, the guy said, "Sure." And the trustee says, I want it. And the attorney said, what do you mean you want it? He says, well, I don't see it listed in your petition. And this actually happened. And the attorney not only had to hand the Rolex watch over to the trustee, but also at that point, the US Justice Department stepped in and said, let's take a closer look at this petition. And they found that he had also forgotten to list some bank accounts. So he was in pretty big trouble. So yes. You really need to schedule everything that you own. Yes. Mm
0: -hmm. That sounds really scary. That's something that people need to be aware of when you're filing for bankruptcy, that you're making sure that you're listing everything you have, especially if it's something crazy like that, that can amount to a decent amount of money.
1: Absolutely, yeah
0: so now something that i'm curious about when you're closing out your accounts when you're filing for bankruptcy are you able to keep like say you have one specific account that you love are you able to keep that account
1: no (laughs) bankruptcy is not the way i explain this to clients is that it's not the chinese buffet Uh, bankruptcy is the all-inclusive you you must include all of your credit cards and if you uh, don't you can have problems so Often I would have people say, well, I just want to keep this one card and I only use it for this or that. No, you've got to include them all.
0: And that makes sense that you would, Mm. you know, have to be transparent about everything and you can't just kind of... File for right. bankruptcy? No. No,
1: there's no such thing as kind of bankruptcy. <laughs> kind right. of bankruptcy. A little bankrupt does a right. treat.
0: So, my last question for you today is what happens if someone wants to file for bankruptcy but they haven't finished filing their taxes? Uh,
1: that's not a good day. Uh, generally speaking, you've got to show the trustee and the court in advance that you've filed your taxes. In fact, when you go to the trustee meeting, you have to give them your two most recently filed taxes so now some people are elderly and they're on social security and so they don't have enough income to file taxes and we get around that by filing an affidavit with the trustee saying just that i don't have to file taxes because my income is so low but most of us who have income who are required to file taxes in that bankruptcy is overseen by the united states government Uncle Sam does not look kindly on people that don't file their taxes. They just don't Mm -hmm. like that. You know, and so that leads us into our final topic here. Uh, We talked earlier about how, um, is there any shame in filing bankruptcy? And there really, in this day and age, there isn't. And what we're going to show people now is, or what you're going to show people now is, there's a whole list of famous people who have filed bankruptcy.
0: Did you know about these famous people who filed for bankruptcy? She was made famous for a 1980s hit, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. But before that, Cindy Lauper had racked up a pile of debt and personal loans. And she filed a chapter bankruptcy. Who doesn't love Disney World or Disneyland? But in the years before Walt Disney actually came up with Mickey Mouse and the other now famous characters, his first attempt at creating a studio ended up in bankruptcy filing. Donald J. Trump. Yep, him. He never filed for bankruptcy, but his various companies filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy as many as six times. Some other bankruptcy filers include MC Hammer, Dave Ramsey, George Foreman, Willie Nelson, and rock stars like Tom Petty, Meatloaf, and Elton John. Oh, what's that? You like classical music better? George Frederick Handel, whose father had wanted him to become a lawyer, filed bankruptcy, then five years later composed the immemorial work, The Messiah. As you can see, most, if not all of the above, put their finances together after their bankruptcy filings and went on to bigger and better lives. Thank you once again for joining us on another episode of About the Law. If you're interested in finding out more about Andrew and his practice, you can find him at his website.
1: My website is attorney-myers.com. Uh, people have asked me how do you pick topics for these uh, podcasts and it's because I've been blogging for 10-12 years now and we pick the topics that people respond to the most. But for future episodes, if you have an idea, or even if you have a question about the law that you'd like us to address, please go into our website and contact us and let us hear from you and tell us what you'd like to hear from us.
0: And once again, thank you guys so much for watching. If you enjoyed this content, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. We're a new and growing channel, so it really does help a lot. Share it with your friends if you think you have a friend that you just learned a little bit more about bankruptcy. Or maybe you just found this an interesting topic and decided to share. We look forward to seeing you guys in our next episode. Thank you. Have a great day. You have been watching About the Law, a production of the Law Offices of Andrew D. Myers in Methuen in the Merrimack Valley of Massachusetts and Derry, New Hampshire please give us a like and subscribe. The foregoing is offered for informational purpose only. It is not intended as, nor does it constitute legal advice. Laws vary widely from state to state. You should rely only on the advice given to you during a personal consultation by a local attorney who is thoroughly familiar with state laws and the area of practice in which your concern lies.